0: Faith Bible Church just had its annual members meeting. And for that meeting, a a report's given out on what happened over the last year and some of the things to come. Uh, Now, here are the opening words from the ministry report for 2020. It said this, 2020 is a year we will never forget. For the FBC leadership, it was a year in which we were still experiencing transition, and then COVID-19 hit. Talk about putting a stop to all of our well-laid plans. But even in a new way of doing life, some positives have come out of it, and we'll be highlighting those later on in the letter. What I want to say first and foremost is thank you for your faithfulness and commitment to growing the ministry of Faith Bible Church. As a pastor, I think that we're on a very positive path to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I talked with the office team, and we were all surprised by how much was accomplished in 2020. All I have to say is look at all the great work that was done by you, church. Great job, and thank you for taking on the challenges of 2020. Now, the Faith Bible Ministry Reports for 2020 highlights the ways that we've grown as a church community, as well as pointing out the ways that God is working in us and through us to transform the North Country for His kingdom. In many ways, the ministry report is a thank you to everyone who has contributed to this important work. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, he also wrote a letter to a church thanking them for their steadfastness and for their continued dedication to proclaim the gospel to everyone within their city. He starts out uh, by saying this to the church in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 8. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. Despite his earlier doubts, despite his, his earlier doubts, Paul is ecstatic about what is happening in this brand new church in the city of Thessalonica. Like we talked about last time, Paul had doubts, and they came from the fact that, that he and his other traveling companions weren't able to get a, a, a good uh, foothold in the city. They themselves were run out of town before they were able to really solidify a firm foundation for the church. Acts 17, we looked at this last time, Acts 17 shows us that they they taught in the synagogues for like three Sabbaths. And shortly after that, they had to flee for their lives at the prompting of uh, of their new Jesus followers. Paul had the right to be concerned. How in the world was this church going to make it if if on day one of the gospel message being preached, a riot starts in the streets? Now, if you remember our our last time together, you might recall the words of those who were upset by the teachings of Paul and Silas. I, I quote, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. The mob recognized that the message of Jesus Christ was a game changer. It changed all the rules for how the world worked and instead of of growing through power, those who followed jesus grew grew through sacrifice instead of climbing the worldly ladder of success, the followers of Jesus climbed down the kingdom ladder ladder of servanthood instead of keeping up appearances so that you were seen and to be in a better position than than others those who followed Jesus elevated those who didn't have it all together. Instead of following the rules that caused divisions, the followers of Jesus walked in freedom and brought unity through love. I, for one, think that any church that is slapped with the label they are turning the world upside down is probably headed in the right direction. Because because God transforms those whom he saves, we should expect that genuine conversion will produce visible results. This is what we have seen in the testimony of this Thessalonian church. Their authentic faith was identified by three different characteristics. Their faith was genuine, it was dynamic, and it was contagious. Paul says in verse four of chapter one, for for we know brothers and sisters loved by God that he has chosen you. From the moment Paul set foot in Thessalonica, his his aim was to proclaim the good news. He knew that there was no good news separate from the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And so Paul was faithful in preaching and teaching Jesus as the Messiah. Now remember in the Acts account, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, proving that Jesus was the risen Messiah preaching the gospel, it was opening the door for them to hear this news that they so desperately needed to hear. They were lost in a sea of spirituality, and they needed to hear about Jesus, the Messiah. But that was only half the equation. In order for the gospel to take root, God's Spirit must intervene. John MacArthur says it in this way, faith does not come merely uh, from hearing those words of truth. For if the truth spoken is not accompanied by the power of God, it accomplishes nothing. But when empowered by God, as it enters the prepared soul, the gospel truth saves. The gospel had had come to Thessalonica not only in word, but also with great power. Paul Paul says in verse 5 that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to comprehend the gospel. And then by an act of saving faith, they embraced it. When the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to understand the gospel, they recognized its divine origin. This was no ordinary message. It was the word of God. Their acknowledgement of the divine source of this message explains why, despite the high cost of their, their personal welfare, they received it with joy and therefore joined with Paul and Silas and Timothy in following Jesus. The gospel message gave them a new direction in their life. Not only does the gospel change our direction, it also gives us a new affection. Paul paints a pretty good picture of what happens to us when we embrace the gospel. The Thessalonian church turned from their idols and they repented. They they turned to God in faith. They turned their lives around in faith, and they turned their lives over to God in service. Their transformation was complete. They, They lived... They lived in a culture with plenty of options to to draw their attention away. Uh, The temples, the shrines, the various gods that their friends and neighbors freely gave their time and attention to. They, they They were surrounded by these things. The Thessalonian church didn't merely try Jesus on as another option. If that was the case, they would have been just adding to their already religious lifestyles. No, they clothe themselves completely in Jesus. Romans 13, 14 says this, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Turning from idols, though, is not easy. You know, idols, they give us security. They, they sometimes give us meaning in life. They help us to, to focus and they, they may seem to give us purpose. They allow us to spend our time and our resources on something to worship. They occupy our thoughts and our dreams. Tim, Timothy Keller says this about idols. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. So if idols are firmly rooted in our lives, how can we break free? Simply put, we have to turn to something better. And this is what the early church did. They turned from their dead idols to the one true living God. They turned from being slaves to lifeless idols to being servants of the living God. This, this total transformation could only come by a genuine conversion. And Paul commends them in verse 6, praising them for becoming imitators of us, that's the apostles, and of the Lord, even in the midst of terrible persecution. Like we witnessed in in Acts, the the people around them saw this transformation and many of them didn't like it, but the new church continued to press on. Paul was very pleased with this group of followers uh, because they were were living out their faith for, for God's glory and for his plans and purposes. Now, Paul uses three different phrases in verse three to describe the way that they were living out their faith. He talks about their work, talks about their labor, and he talks about their endurance. He says, we recall in the presence of, of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work, labor, and endurance. Now, news about your faith in Jesus has gone out, not only in your town, but all over Macedonia. And Paul says that the way you are working is, 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 is a product of your faith. Basically, your your life mission has changed. You're, you're now doing the work for the Lord instead of for yourselves. See, when we talk about worshiping idols, all we're really talking about is working for ourselves. The idols are the things that we put into place or that we follow that give us comfort, maybe joy, maybe a, a sense of satisfaction. They make us feel good about ourselves and maybe the, the path that we're walking down. Idols are a way to, to focus in on ourselves, we're, we're focusing in on the things that that might give us temporary joy or temporary relief, but but they truly don't give us complete satisfaction. The the nature of an idol is is that we have to keep returning to it, it, it treating like treating it like a magic genie lamp or a vending machine that's going to provide a solution for whatever problem we're, we're facing at the moment, pushing a button uh, to solve the problems. Now, back in the day, if you needed more rain just pray to the certain piece of wood. If you needed a better job, will you pull out the family idols and, and beg them for a job? And so it creates this this pattern, this habit of, I got to keep going back for more and more and more. And the nature of our faith in God is that we turn to God and we see the work that was accomplished through Jesus Christ. And that sets us free. And, and, and not only... Uh, we don't have to be driven, or driving ourselves around in circles and circles and circles trying to find our own way. When the Holy Spirit works in us, we accept God's gift of salvation. We're no longer trying to find our way because God has already found us. Now we just follow in His way, which leads us to Paul's second phrase Your labor is motivated by love. As a church, we spend a good portion of the year talking about love. And we have to keep talking about it because after all the words, uh, the word love sums up Jesus's command for his followers. Love God and love your neighbor. Paul tells the Thessalonian church that their love is evident. Your your labor, (coughs) excuse me, your labor is motivated by love. Now what's the difference between the words work, which he used earlier, and labor that Paul uses here? Work is the idea of tasks, something we're, we're trying to accomplish. Now, the, work, the Greek word for labor that Paul uses points to weariness, sweat, or fatigue. I'd sum it up by saying that Paul is telling them that the burden that you are carrying is motivated by your love, your love for God and your love for others. Because because of this love that you have, you're willing to carry the burdens that, that you're carrying. Most of us look to ditch the heavy burdens, the heavy loads as quick as we can, right? We say things like, "I really can't wait till I'm out from under the w- this weight in my life," you know, or "this this boss is really a taskmaster, and I can't wait to get out from under his thumb." I, I've got this family member, and they are so needy, and I don't think I can emotionally carry their problems anymore. Paul says to the church, "You are showing yourselves to be a different kind of people, because you are going the distance with your love, even to the point of exhaustion." and weariness well pastor this wears me out just thinking about it i'm about at the end of my rope maybe you're thinking with these people in my life i don't know how much more i can love them okay tell you what let's just rest for a moment take a breath breathe calm yourself down the kind of love that works in spite of weariness doesn't have to be generated by you or by me in fact we can't do it true love weight-bearing love, enduring love can only come from God. And this is why we need to be continually uh, seeking to be filled by the Holy Spirit and, and seeking the direction from the Holy Spirit. Another apostle, the apostle John, said this about love in his, his letter uh, called 1 John. Let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Love is from God. Paul writes about love a lot in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, a classic passage on love. He says this, if I speak uh, speak in human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I am a, a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And if i donate all my goods to feed the poor and if i give my body order in order to boast about it uh, but i don't have love i gain nothing paul stresses the importance of love by making some pretty outlandish claims to make this point he says even if i could even if i could speak in the tongues of angels it's just noise it's it's gobbledygook if there's no love even if I knew everything that there was to know in this world and beyond, without love all that knowledge would be would be nothing. It amounts to nothing. Even if I gave everything I own to the poor, literally trading places with them so that they have everything and I I'm on the street. This sacrifice gets me nothing if there is no love involved if there is no love involved. Where there is no love, it does not matter what we say, it does not matter what we do, it does not matter um, how we act—that—that uh, that, this is why love is so vital to the Christian faith. Love allows us to look outside of ourselves and, and focus on a bigger picture. I, I don't know about you, but when I'm focused on something bigger than myself, myself, I'm also I'm I'm often able to hang on, e- even to go uh, keep going, even when it gets tough. I, I remember working on some big projects at DaySpring. You know what, if we weren't given an important vision for what we were doing, it just seemed like the work was just extra work. And there's usually a whole lot of grumbling that would come with it. But if we were shown a vision about how this project was gonna make a difference for the company or, or how it was gonna make a difference in the, the lives of our consumers, then there was usually more willingness, even a desire to be a part of that team that was working on that project. And those hours just, just slipped away like nothing. The church in Thessalonica saw a a plan that was bigger than themselves and they were able to endure even in the midst of persecution. Paul says that their endurance or their commitment came because they had hope. Not hope in themselves, but but a firm hope in Jesus Christ, their returning Savior. You, You turn to God from idols, he says, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So with this unshakable confidence and determination, these Jesus followers walked in faith, not afraid of the burdens of this world because of their love for God and their love for their neighbor. You might say that their mind was set on heaven, but their hands were busy working here on earth. And this, trinks, this, this rings so true with what Jesus says in the great commission. He says this to the church, go, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. The message of Jesus was go and tell, not wait till they come. Go and tell. Jesus' plan for the church is for people on the inside of the church to take the message to those on the outside. And the Great Commission is not an invitation for outsiders to come and hear the message, but for the church to go and tell message. But you know what? Even the apostles got caught up in doing what many of us get caught up in doing. After we've seen the glory of Jesus, we, we, we just stop. You might say that we get caught up basking in that mountaintop experience. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, an angel actually had to come to the apostles and ask them, why do you stand looking up into the heavens? Jesus will come back. Remember he told you that. But he also told you that there was work to do. So until he comes back, get your hands to the plow because the fields are ready for a heavenly harvest. The church in Thessalonica wasn't known for stopping and staring up into the clouds. Paul says that in every place, your faith in God has gone out and you've become an example to all of the believers in Macedonia and beyond. Your faith is contagious. People are noticing and they're encouraged by your example. You are a contagious church and a contagious church recognizes that there is work to do and the people get busy doing it. One of the great dangers for any organization is to lose sight of its reason for existing. And this is, this is true for business. This is also true for churches. I saw just recently where a pastor shared a story about a sign that was posted on the front of a, a front door of one of uh, Washington D.C.'s churches and, it, and the sign read this, "Going out of business." Not long after the sign was posted, someone added the words, "We never really knew what our business was." That's a sad commentary on that particular church and they are not alone. A couple of years ago a survey group released some numbers on on church closings. At that time, this was a couple years ago, but at that time they suggested that between 3,500 and 4,000 American churches will close their doors during the year. That, That means that every week more than like 70 churches are hanging, going out of business signs on their doors. Now, since the church is the only institution that Jesus promised to build and to bless, we should rightly expect that the church should not just survive, but it should also thrive. So what's the difference between a church that puts out a going out of business sign and, and that of a thriving church like in, like in Thessalonica? What made them such an example to the world around them? Well, we found out um, in the first chapter of the letter by the apostle Paul, okay? We find out that they were grounded in their relationship with Jesus. They, they held fast to the gospel. They were passionate about their calling. So they didn't keep themselves cooped up in a building. They they went out proclaiming the gospel and sharing the love of Jesus with those around them. And they were hopeful about their future. They knew Jesus was coming back. They were secure in that. Let, Let me just finish this. Let me close with a quote from John Stott that sums up the example by the Thessalonian church. Sums them up pretty well. He says this, Serving and waiting go together in the experience of converted people. In Christian terms, serving is getting busy for Christ on earth, while waiting is looking for Christ to come from heaven. Yet these two are not incompatible. On the contrary, each balances the other. On the one hand, however hard we work and serve, there are limits to what we can accomplish. We can only improve society. We cannot perfect it. We shall never build utopia here on earth. For that, we have to wait for Christ to come. On the other hand, although we must look expectantly for the, the coming of Christ, we have no liberty to wait in idleness, with, with arms folded and eyes closed, and indifferent to the needs of the world around us. Instead, we must work even while we wait, for we are called to serve the living and true God. Thus, working and, and waiting go together. In combination, they will deliver us both from the presumption which thinks we can do everything, from the pessimism which thinks we can do nothing. Church, we serve while we wait. May the community around us know there's a group of people that is turning the world upside down. As always, as we close, uh, let me leave you with a a few questions to think about over the next few days, or if you're meeting in a group, you can use these as, as part of your discussion time. These are questions for us to take on the go. Question number one. What is the relationship between faith and works in your life? Are you working to try to earn favor with God? Or are your works flowing from the faith you already have in Jesus? Question number two. What are the idols that you're clinging to? And how do those idols compete with your loyalty to Christ? Question number three. Are you a contagious Christian? Would others look at your life and be inspired to imitate your devotion to Jesus? As we close in prayer, let me me just close our time together with a prayer that Paul offered up for the Thessalonian church in this letter to them. He says this, he prays this for this church. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen.